Welcome back, Brown Girls. Ashanti here, the founder of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics, the one-stop shop podcast for women of color who want to hear and talk about the world of politics. As we continue with our collaboration with She the People, we are highlighting women from their 20 women of color to watch in 2020 list. These are all barrier-breaking women who are changing the political landscape this year and beyond. Dewana Thompson is the creator of Woke Vote, a program to train new organizers and engage historically disengaged voters across the South. Woke Vote is one of the key organizations that helped Alabama elect the state's first Democratic senator in 25 years and helped Florida pass Amendment 4, which restored voting rights to people with felony convictions. From her roles on Capitol Hill to the Democratic National Committee, Dewana has played a role in shaping politics and policy across the country. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Dewana, thank you for joining us today, sis. How are you? You know, in the midst of everything, I feel very blessed um, and I feel good. How are you? Hanging in there. You got to make the best of this time, but it is definitely showing us that the work that we do is more important now than ever. Yeah, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. We were saying that in moments like these, you really do get to see the character and the the preparation that leaders have and, and also the disparity of that. Right. And so, you know, the work that we that we do, that people view it as necessary and critical and that we're able to still be intentional, you know, in this moment. Yeah. One of the things that we're doing with Emerge is we're talking about how leaders matter during this time because we don't have any leadership from the highest office in this country. So it's really coming down to the state and local leaders to give us everything that we need to be well, to survive during this time. And we've just been using it to talk about like, look, this is why you don't sleep on your local elections because some states are doing very well. I mean, as well as can be given the other situations. And then you have states like Georgia today where the governor (laughs) said he didn't realize that you could be asymptomatic and still transfer the coronavirus. Where where are y'all? You know, are you that privileged that you don't understand that you know that these things are happening you know I, I just it's it's a grave um just misrepresentation of you know of the people that you serve like you just you when you don't understand something as simple as as those things and so I I'm with you I think that on the flip side of that we've seen great leadership from a lot of local leaders like you said even here in my own state in the city of Birmingham, when the state wasn't moving fast enough, the city leaders enacted policy that was going to save more people. And then the state took notice of that. So that to me is prime example of how like the ground and how local leadership can move state agenda when it's necessary. Mm-hmm. And you and I, we know each other. You have over a decade of political experience, everything from the Hill to the Obama administration, But I still don't know, how did you get involved in community work? Well, I think, I don't know. You know, that's a hard question for me. My father is a pastor. My mom and dad, they are founding members of the church that we, that I'm still a part of now. And service was just a really big part of my life growing up, period. I mean, every week we were out doing something in the community and it was 
it was just a part of our reality of how you're supposed to be, you know, as people of faith, as civic minded people, like this is your community. You've got a role to play. So I, I will, I was always out, um, you know, volunteering, organizing, but the reality is I didn't know that if you will, community organizing was a, a a skill, like a legitimate trade, if you will, um, until I got to college and started to learn about movements and really learn about how people collectively organize for power. That's when I realized, oh, I've, I can do that and I've been doing that. And that's when my lens changed towards that. And so I started organizing more intentionally um, from that time on. And that that's really what got me into it. Just realizing that you know, those of us who are in places that have been systematically ignored, the, the only way that we're going to to see some sort of some sort of shift in that is to collectively pull our power and, and make that change happen. And I figured that out at like 19 and I've been running ever since. Love it. Love it. We're so lucky to have you in this movement, particularly because you do a lot of work focusing on the South. I'm also very passionate about the South with my professional job, Emerge. That's where we did the majority of our expansion. And one of the things that you said is regarding disenfranchised Southern communities, that they have been ignored and under-engaged by the political system and by the progressive agenda, even though we know the folks closest to the pain are usually also the folks closest to the solutions. So with that, tell us about why you created What Vote, which is a program to train new organizers and engage historically disengaged voters across the South, and why particularly during this time do more democratic and progressive organizations need to focus their work on the South? Yeah, Ashanti, you and I both know that not even just in the South, but particularly in communities of color across this country, there has just been a a lack, if you will, of investment, political investment, political resource. There's been a lack of just even listening um, sometimes to our communities as it relates to what we need and what's going to help sort of strengthen our spaces. And so having had the opportunity to work in some of these traditional spaces, the DNC, on the Hill, um, and having much respect for those processes, I still felt like parts of my community were not being heard and weren't being serviced. And I figured after 2016, it was like, you know what? I I literally don't believe we can wait any longer. We either have to start our own things and and push the agenda or we're going to continue to get, you know, um, what we've been receiving, which is lesser form of engagement. And it's just, I, for one, didn't feel like we could stomach that any longer, right? Our communities have things that, particularly under this uh, this particular leadership at the White House, the disparity rates for how things are showing up and impacting our communities are off the charts. And so woke vote sort of came out of this opportunity that we had in 2017 to elect um, the first Democratic senator in the first 25 years. Now, we didn't organize, and, and the senator I'm refer- referencing is Doug Jones, we didn't organize for him. We organized because nobody believed that Black 
political power existed in a state like Alabama. And no one believed that putting resources on the ground here would actually impact that election to allow a progressive person to, to take office. And But we did. And so we knew that in order to sort of prove that, we had to put together something substantive to, to show that. And so once we were able to, you know, we organized over 100,000 uh, voters of color, African-American voters across the state in six weeks to vote um, progressively in that race. And we were able to win. That was just sort of the, the it gave us the framework, if you will, for the model. And then we started to apply that model um, across states and across the work that we've been doing for the last several years. So woke vote really was the, it was a response to this idea that, you know, there is no, there's no real activity happening in states like Alabama and Georgia. It's like, no, we've been organized and we've been ready and we've been, you know, positioned for years. If you invest in us, then you'll be able to, you know, to see that. But you and I both know that sometimes even the word progress shows up as, you know, with, with racist elements. So just because somebody says that they're progressive or that they're Democrat or that they're, you know, for the big tent ideas doesn't mean that we belong in that tent or that they have made room for us in that tent. So Woke Vote organizes ourselves, you know, organizes our communities so that we can make room for ourselves and be prepared should we get opportunities, but still make those major opportunities opportunities happen for ourselves. Amen to all of that. A recurring theme throughout every season of the podcast. And you mentioned the work that you all did with Doug Jones, but you also did some great things in Florida with helping get Amendment 4 passed, which restored voting rights to people with felony convictions. You know, on the on this season, we're talking to some of the other women who also did work in this area. Something that I'm very passionate about from just even my time at the Department of Labor, working to get the box banned, you know, for people to receive jobs and to help reduce recidivism. What from your end do you think the future of this work looks like? Well, if you, I mean, if you look even now in Florida, they're still having to, after the historic vote in 2018, they're still having to organize for um, the current governor uh, who, or organize around the current governor who's still trying to block the measures at, at, at any cost, right? So I think it was just two days ago that they were able to win a landmark decision in this in the Florida uh, court that um, allows them to continue to move closer towards that effort, right, of, of really re-enfranchising this large segment of the Florida community. And I think that's the reason why organizing um, for long-term strategy and long-term change is critical in our communities. Whenever people say to me, you know, Duana, what, what do we do if we don't see something immediate? I'm tell I always tell them like, listen, there are some immediate things that we can work on, but when you organize for power, it's with the understanding that you're organizing for the long game, right? There has been such historic under-engagement because there has been such historic um, misrepresentation and disenfranchisement, you, we have a lot of work to do to, you know, to, to remedy that, right? And it won't happen overnight. And I think the Amendment 4 work is, is key to understanding that. It's like, it took Desmond Mead and um, who, who really led that and who him and his wife, Sheena, who are the brainchilds of that whole sort of 
movement um what nobody talks about is the two to three years that they worked to even get to a point where they were able to get the mil almost a million signatures needed to even get it on the ballot right a lot of people talk about you know the fact that people voted for it but it, that's three to four years of hard work um of organizing when nobody thought it was possible of you know lobbying for something that you know was not popular at all at the time and so i think that is real change that is real work and that's why we still have a future in this kind of work because that that kind of change that's going to that's going to create that's going to change material conditions for the people that we love and serve it takes time and so yes I, I think that that we're still necessary in this moment um there's still issues that are happening not just in florida but in so many of our states um that disproportionately impact people of color that we've got a lot of work to do so i I, for one, am, am in, in this for the long haul. In these politically fraught times, I am constantly ruminating about how much further we have to go as a country. One of the things I do to feel better is dive back into my work to get women elected across the country. I know that many of you feel the same way. One of the many things we need to help get these incredible women elected is funding. So much of this comes from small dollar donors who give through AtBlue. AdBlue is a fundraising platform and nonprofit organization that makes it easy to give and to make your voice heard. They help thousands of democratic campaigns, progressive organizations, and nonprofits build people-powered movements. Small dollar donors are more powerful than any mega donor. Visit secure.adblue.com/about to become a small dollar donor yourself. That's secure.adblue.com/about. AdBlue's sponsorship of the Brown Girls Guide does not imply support for any candidate or committee. During this time, it is so important to check on your physical health and also your mental health. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and all from the comfort of your own home. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You will get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit betterhelp.com BGG that's better, H-E-L-P, and join the over 700,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for BGG listeners, get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com BGG. What is campaigning, outreach, organizing, mobilizing, going to look for, going to look like this year, given right now we're in the middle of coronavirus, we're not set up to even really have all the states do vote by mail. We're actually hearing Republicans say they don't like vote by mail because that's going to give more people the opportunity to vote. And they know when more people vote, they don't win. So at least they're being honest now about their voter suppression tactics that we all knew about and why they hate things like this. So for your work, especially with communities of color, how are you thinking about the ways that you can get them mobilized and what are ways that we can support your work knowing that 2020 
is going to be such an important election year. They're all important election years, but this is going to be one of the most important elections, not only of our lifetime, but in history. I think a couple of things to that, Ashanti, and with the work that you guys have done in Emerge and other places that that you've matriculated through, I think you and I both know that we've always sort of organized, and I tell people this, underground. <laughs> and And the reason why I say that is because for so long, a lot of communities of color have not trusted some of these traditional spaces because they were treated unfairly or, you know, not seen or when they tried to, you know, operate in these spaces, they were diminished. And so there was almost this requirement for us to build our own things, for us to sort of go underground and have our own networks and know how to reach out to each other, you know, sort of out of the limelight. So I think honestly that Black community, the African-American community, the communities of color are probably more positioned or at least more well positioned to get our messages to each other, to organize ourselves than any other of our counterparts in this moment. And I'm excited about that because I think it will also show the strength of what real relational organizing and grassroots organizing looks like. Everybody wants to say that they that they know how to do it um, and then they end up sort of piggybacking, piggybacking or riding on the work of others, right? Because, you know, when you organize, you don't just, it, you're not the only beneficiary of it, right? Like other people are benef- benefit from your organizing work. But if you haven't really learned how to do that real that real um, relational organizing, if you haven't understood how to do grassroots organizing prior to this moment, it's going to be exposed by 2020, mm-hmm. right? And so I oh, think yeah. that what I'm really excited about is that A lot of our training, a lot of the work that we did, we already had to do online. So our fellowship, our master's class, a lot of our regional trainings that we do, because we're, you know, we're not the largest organization. I don't have staff in every state, um, but we have students and um, woke vote fellows and woke vote um, members in, in, in over 19 states right now. And we wanted to always make sure that we could stay connected with them. So we did, we were already doing virtual trainings, virtual town halls. And I think those things, because we were already doing them, they are now rooted in a way that allows us to, to still do some really good organizing. Um, to your point around vote by mail, I think, I don't know if, if it's a secret, but even a lot of communities of color, um, were were not really thrilled or have not been traditionally thrilled with the idea of vote by mail because they saw it as a way of possibly their vote being taken, right? What we're actually working on right now, Ashanti, is a, a huge informational push around why vote by mail is, is critical right now you know, how to do it effectively. We're doing, we're, we're actually right now cutting videos for here's how the process works, right? Um, in the places where vote by mail is, you know, already sort of on the books and it's easy. In the states that we're working in right now where vote by mail has sort of, so even in the state of Alabama where I live, for the longest, up until maybe three years ago, you had to have a reason, a legitimate reason to vote by mail. Deployed or at going out of the country, like you had to, you had to prove why you were going to be absent. And then someone got to make a determination whether or not you got a chance to, to get an actual ballot or not, absentee ballot. Well, 
we have, you know, folks lobbied against that. And now we're supposedly able to <laughs> get a vote by mail ballot no matter what. But we realize that, that that's been three years and people's memories are really short. And so we are already providing, um, if you will, tactics and, and, and support around making sure that anybody who wants a vote by mail ballot can get that in the states that we're focused on for 2020 and making sure people know the rules and all of that. I also think things like radio that have um, historically not been engaged or has has not always received black radio, for instance, doesn't always get the resources during election cycles that, you know, other media outlets get. But a lot of our people still listen to their local DJ, right, to their local radio station. I think people are going to be doing more mail outs, you know what I mean? Things like that. And when outside opens again, which I believe it will those of us who have had strong, you know, door knocking campaigns, who've had strong campaigns already on the ground, I think we're going to be able to jump right back into action because we would have still been organizing this entire time. We have not stopped. I told somebody this is not a coronavirus has not been a vacation for me, Ashanti. I'm sure it has been for you. No, <laughs> I, I don't have more time. <laughs> exactly. Listen, and I think that speaks to, again, what you know, the, the, not just the character of, of you as a leader and myself as a leader, but it speaks to what we know is the reality of the situation. It's like, we can't stop working. You know, our communities fall further down the cracks, right? We can't, we can't take those breaks. We're just starting to see some momentum around certain things in our communities around, you know, raise political interest. People, you know, you know, we're getting more and more African-Americans and people of color elected to office. We've got to support their, you know, their office that kind of thing. And so while we're in this moment, it's just not a time where we can take our hand from the plow. And I think, you know, our our volunteers, our fellows, the people that support our work, they understand that. They're excited. They're asking every single day, what can we be doing? And um, I'm really blessed to to be a part of a, a, a moment where people are really understanding that the that their voice is critical, you know, and, it, and it's going to be critical for, tw- for for November. Yes. And you talked about your woke vote fellows and the amazing work that they do. And you actually named one as your plus one, Cameron Thigpen. Tell us about Cameron. So, oh my God, it's so funny that you would ask me about Cameron. Last night, she sends me a text message and she says, she's like, Misty, you know, we, so Cameron started our first official Woke Vote campus organization where, as you know, from doing college outreach in, in order to become an official um, organization, you have to, you know, write a charter, you have to do all of those things. And Cameron took it upon herself to uh, a year and a half ago to, she wanted to make sure that Woke Vote was a prominent feature on her campus at UAB. And so she and five others who have been working with our, our Woke Vote team, they created the first official Woke Vote um, campus chapter called UAB is Woke. And so um, she was so excited about it. We were so proud of her. Her model is now how we have used over the last year and a half for other schools to officially charter their woke vote chapters. And she told me last night that they were nominated woke vote. UAB is woke is nominated for um, an organizing award on their campus um, as one of the, or organizational award on their campus as one of the best organizations on the campus. And I'm just so proud of them because they. I mean, when I say that they have been moving and shaking, and Cameron is she's just everything that you want to believe in um, and want to root for in a youth and young adult organizer. She's sharp. She's passionate. She's smart. 
She is unapologetic. She's unafraid. Um, she's, un, you know, she sees a, a situation and she doesn't run from it. She's, she's like, Miss D, we don't have, it's crazy. We don't have a, 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 vo a voting precinct on our campus and we have over 10,000 students. How is that possible? Or over 20,000 students. And she's like, is this something you think we can work on? I'm like, Cam, yes, we can work on it. Before I can even start, she had already did all the research. And I mean, literally, she just, <laughs> you see that kind of energy. I just get, I literally, yeah. I just, I call her my leader. They have already organized and, and got, they're about 75% of the way of getting that polling location so that students this year will be able to vote on UAB's campus. And I just think, I mean, you can't, when I think of legacy of the work and when I think of how, how do we know that this is working, Cam is my walking, breathing, talking, like, belief that this that this kind of in, intentional engagement in our communities and in our people works all we have to do cam was already all that she is she was already great she just needed to be connected with someone who believed in her and some and, and given some training and some resources and now she's taking over i'm stepping back like all right girl you got it you know and so that that is the, that is the strength that's the excitement that's the hope you know, for for an organizer like me. It's not that I get to do it all or that my name is out here. Cam is is the biggest, you know, she she's what I look forward to every single day and every organizer and every community person that I meet. That moment when they realize that they don't need me, that they can do this and that they're trained to do this, you know, effectively. I'm excited for her. Mm. She's just great. Oh, I'm excited. Snaps for Cameron, just getting it done. I have enjoyed this conversation. I'm going to move us into our final question our signature question that we ask all of our guests, what advice do you have for all the brown girls out there listening saying, I want to be just like her? Ashanti, I, I think sometimes that, um, at least for me, I would look at incredible women around me. I think about people like Tasha Cole and Marilyn Davis and Karen Andre and yourself and, and, and women before us, you know, the Donna Brazils of the world, the, the Fanny Hamers of the world, just all these incredible women who've done this. And sometimes when I would look at what everyone was accomplished, I would then look at myself like, I'm not doing enough. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm behind. And, so, and I think so, The and, and you don't even realize that you're measuring yourself, if you will, against whatever the situations were that allowed that person to be in the moment that they're in at that, you know, at that time. And so my suggestion would be, to make sure that when we're admiring each other, that it's an admiration, not a conviction, right? <laughs> or make sure that you're taking the good and then you're realizing that you too have a story in that and a path that is uniquely yours and whatever is on your uniquely God-given path, it's yours. And you just got to continue to, to to work towards whatever that is that that you're supposed to do in this space. And I believe that when you do that, um, it opens up so many more doors and takes a lot of the pressure off of like, oh man, I haven't written a book yet or I haven't done this. And it's like, well, maybe you're not supposed to write a book right now, right? Um, but what are you supposed to be doing? And I think when we get really, when you get really intentional about what moment you're in, what you're supposed to be doing with your time, how you exist in the space, what do you have to offer? Everything else makes room for you. And then you start to realize like, wow, you know, I am in that, that moment. I 
I am powerful. I am doing what I'm supposed to do. I am making a difference. And you become a part of the sisterhood, not sort of feel like you're looking outside of it, right? And I'm so glad to have women that have motivated me, that 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 inspire me every single day. People like you who've been doing this work and so, so, you know, <laughs> unapologetically, but also a lot of times, you know, completely without recognition, right? We see you and, and I think that the more we see ourselves, the more other people will see our leadership. And so that would be my suggestion is just like get really, really rooted in what your purpose is, make room for yourself, and then you'll somehow get room is made for you. That that that's the best advice I can give. If you have a moment, please take the time to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay up to date with us on the BGG website www.thebgguide.com and on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The BG Guide. The BGG Podcast is produced by Wonder Media Network. You can find them on Instagram at WMN.media and on Twitter at WMN Media. Until next time, Brown Girls. of women leave the traditional workforce when they have children. Claudia Reuter, a former stay-at-home mom who went on to be a venture-backed CEO, is the host of The 43%, a podcast from Wonder Media Network that talks to women about their journeys towards creating lives that include both family and career. Now more than ever, the identities we built for work and for parenthood are suddenly blurring. Some of the women that Claudia speaks with this season have lived in this middle ground, Some are navigating the space for the first time, but each one of them will help us work through what's become an increasingly urgent question. How do we bring our whole selves to our work? Listen and subscribe to The 43% wherever you get your podcasts.